Right now, though, on the line, I have Mr. Andrew Little, leader of the Labour Party. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Jamie. How are we today, my friend? We're a good little bit chilly in Wellington today, but otherwise fine, yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's just something we're used to down here, so when we hear no, it's chilly... No, cold? No. If we hear, when we hear it's chilly in other places, we kind of rejoice, yeah, to yeah. be honest. We're like, yeah, yeah, you get it for once, because it's lovely here. Uh, but anyway... You know, 20 minutes after we talked last time, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked a little bit about Jacinda and Annette King, we did, and then and then BAM, I think it was 20 minutes later you announced that Annette was standing down and you were backing uh, Jacinda for the job. Why couldn't you give me that? Oh, I, I, I had to keep it a secret, Jamie, I'm sorry about that. You know, politics works in weird and wonderful ways, but... Um no, it was all set to go. Yeah, we should have told the interview maybe a little later, you think? Yeah, maybe we could have. And then I could have had that exclusive. That would have been great for my career. Uh, thanks for not helping me out. Uh, I, I, I can tell you that I've got no secrets at all that I'm holding back right now. <laughs> all right, good, good. Right, um, now, when it comes to that, you know, you, um, Jacinda, I guess, uh, brings a lot of youth to the party. Um, she's got that all-important Auckland uh, seat. Um, with that comes votes from Auckland. Um, but, you know, it's a long way from getting that Auckland party vote. I mean, is her role going to be the one that hits the beat? She's the one that goes out, faces, you know, is the face of the gra grassroots Labour Party to get that party vote in Auckland, you know, kind of um, selling the policies while you announce them. Um, no, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, she'll be out and about with me quite a bit, but she's got her things she will be doing in Auckland. Um, in, in the end, you know, there's, there's only one leader, and I'm the face of the leader. Ugly as it might be, to some. <laughs> oh, come on. but um, we've all got the, we've all got the job of selling the party policies yep. and our platform and our values and our and our vision. Mm -hmm. um, and I just last week we just we had a couple of the. Um, Public meetings as part of their ongoing sort of tour that we're doing. Just and it was at each of those. It was it was very good. Um, but just the job of the job of still being there out there, debating the point, getting the stuff out. Um, uh, I'll, I'll certainly be doing my fish through there. Don't worry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as much as I love Nick King, and she has done a great service for this nation. I've said it. Mm. Uh, I said it last time we talked. I say it again. It's Minister of Health. Uh, fantastic and whatnot. Um, you know, it's always good to get some um, some young blood in there. I think uh, Jacinda's uh, a good choice. Um, but we we should talk about um, some of the, the policies that she'll be trying to um, to sell to the public. Um, of course, uh, retirement's been a big one over the course of the last few weeks. And I've got to be fair. You know, there's been a lot of talk, and I've said the same thing about uh, Labour flip flopping on this issue. But you, like, I mean, we go back to 2015. Your personal view has always been not to raise it, and that became pol party policy in November of 2015. So this hasn't just automatically been a thing that you've come out and said um, since Nationals decided they're going to raise it, is it? No, I, I stood for the leadership on the Labour Party uh, on the basis that that is one of the policies I would seek to change. Um, that comes from my previous experience as a, as a union leader dealing with working people and dealing with a lot of people who struggle to get to 65 now. So this is not something um, new to me. It's a long-held view, and I've you know, taken it through, and that is, that is now the party's policy. I mean, we, we, we stood in the last two elections of a campaign on lifting the age of eligibility. We know that a lot of people didn't agree with it. I, I never quite understood why, as the Labour Party, we were saying that. When I look at the figures in terms of affordability, right now, as a, as a proportion of GDP, our superannuation scheme is one of the l lowest costs in the developed world. Um, and, yep, it's going to rise, um, but equally I'm confident that 
with the type of economic growth that we've got and the, with a good economic plan, we can continue to afford superannuation at the age of 65. Okay, because I do know, and I'm quoting you here, uh, you said it scares the bejeebas out of you, uh, that extra $20 million. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that, re- that related to the fact this government and uh, they're into its ninth year, they haven't added or contributed a single extra dollar to the New Zealand Super Fund, the savings account that was set up by the last Labor government to put money aside to meet that future rapidly rising cost of superannuation. Mm-hmm. So that, that fund is now roughly $20, $20 billion behind what it would have been had the government kept up contributions, even at a reasonably modest level, um, to meet that future cost of superannuation. So there is a big catch-up. I mean, we've said as a priority we would resume those contributions mm-hmm. to that, that savings account. There is a big catch-up job to do. That, that is going to require some effort and prioritisation, but um, that is what we need to do to you know to keep keep the future viable. Would you be taking it back to the original levels that were being put in by the, um, you know the previous <coughs> Labor government? We have to. Um, I mean, you've got to you got to look at what the you know the kind of the level of surpluses that um, the government books are generating uh, right now. They are pretty modest, but they are in surplus, and they're predicting a billion dollar surplus this year. So there is a there is a formula in the legislation that covers it that you're meant to apply. I'm mean, ready to have a look at that. But I think the idea is that we would want to resume contributions, even if they are pretty small initially, um, and build up you know, build up those surpluses, build up the contributions over time. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, um, you know I, I'm an advocate for means testing, and I say why not? You know we we do means testing <coughs> for all kinds of benefits, um, and, and why not super? Why, you know it could just be one one doctor's visit. And this doctor says, "Look, you know, because I was a freezer worker for for, for <coughs> many for many years, yep. and um, I watched a lot of uh, good people break down, you know, when they're getting yep. to into their fifties, their bodies are yeah. b- beginning to be shot because they've been working yep. hard their whole life. Yep. And and, and right. Matt, you know, and I've moved on from working at the freezer works, and I now sit yep. on a chair, yep. you know, and I don't mind working to seventy. So one yep. of those um, people, can, you know, can can retire at 62, 64. You know, why can't yep. we bring that in? Is it really that difficult when we do it?" Uh, to measure other things already? I think the issue then is if you start introducing exceptions um, and, you, and you build up the testing around it, because you might you might also say, well, what about Nadia specifically have a, longer, a, a lower life expectancy than European Pakeha? So maybe we should have an exception for them. Yeah, why not? Um, and, and, and you, that's right. So, but you start creating those rules, that creates a whole new additional cost to administer those rules and administer different kind of, you know, entry times to access the superannuation. So in the end, what you come down to is the most efficient means or method is a universal scheme. So single age of entry um, and and pay from there, basically. I think where there is some scope, I hadn't understood this, but apparently if you elect not to pick up super when you qualify for it, then that's it, you don't ever get it. And I would have thought it is possible to introduce some sort of voluntary scheme where you say, listen, I don't need, I'm, I'm 65, but I'm not retiring now. I'm going to work for another two, five, whatever years. And I'll pick it up when I'm ready on a voluntary basis. And you might also add to that, you know, some sort of thing, okay, you, you elect where you want the money you would otherwise receive where it goes. You might want to set it up into some educational scholarships or do some other thing like that. I think that's something we're worth considering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, I mean, if we... If if we do change the system and we do bring in means testing and that in itself saves money over time, why can't that money, you know, can't that be the money that's used to 
do the means testing? Because especially when it comes to that Maori Pacific Islander thing, I mean, if they are dying ten years earlier and their bodies are older uh, before Pakeha's body is, isn't that just seems completely and utterly fair to to me that they should be going into retirement uh, sooner? Because they work just as long and just as hard, um, you know, but they're not going to live as long. Yeah, so I suppose let's get back to the point that there's then with that level of complexity, there's then a cost to that, uh, and 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 you know the number of people to administer it, um, the the differences that you have to you know, the different rules you end up having to apply. And I think that's where in the past I think when officials have looked at it, they just said in the end, um, you, look, you, you can make up these other rules to, to get absolute perfection in terms of fairness. But in the end, you still come back to the most efficient way is universal provision. So that's where we've landed up for the last 40-odd years. I hate efficiency, I must say, Andrew. I really do. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, just a little quip, though. It's all Muldoon's fault because Kirk's plan was awesome. Uh, and we would have been doing all right now if they'd kept that plan. But Muldoon yeah. came in and cut New Zealand super back then. And then I think, you know, if, if we'd still had that, we would have been sitting pretty pretty right now. The, ama- the amazing thing is that it was actually Roger Douglas' plan. He actually designed that original. Yeah, but it was Kirk's government, was it, in 77? And I know when people say, oh, you know, look about various other things that Roger Douglas did, but um, he, he, he put together the original one that actually, had we had it now, We'd have hundreds of billions of dollars mm. in savings in New Zealand that would make a huge difference to our economy. Yep, gutted about that, to be honest. All right, um, well, we'll move on to, uh, you know, nationals put uh, tax cuts back on the table, as one does an election year. Uh, you know, it's, it's always that wee sweetener, come and vote for me, uh, I'll give you some extra money in your pocket. Um, and they say, you know, you know, the co- economy's doing quite well. The government is banking surplus. You said it's small right now, but we're expecting a billion dollars in the next uh, financial year or so. Um, you know, isn't it fair to give the taxpayer a bit of a break? Well, we've got to remember that the surpluses that are being generated now have been on the back of a funding freeze on schools. And we know that schools right now are absolutely packed to the gunnels and not, not getting any extra funding for the extra students they're taking on. Mm-hmm. Student, you know, the teachers are under huge pressure with much larger class sizes. That's not necessarily good. You've got a um, health system now where health services have been cut because budgets have been cut there as well. Most DHBs are in deficit. Uh, and uh, they're doing things like, uh, well, we know that uh, people who are meant to be having specialist appointments at the hospital because their GP referred them there can't get it. 60,000 people last year turned down for a specialist appointment. Mental health services at breaking point. Um, and then you've got the whole situation with housing, and, and especially when it comes to homelessness, um, because, you know, government sold off all these state houses and now we can't accommodate people who are in desperate need of housing. So, to me, there are some there are some other priorities before I'd be looking at significant tax cuts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's be honest, you're right, the schools are struggling, infrastructure in Auckland is failing, housing crisis, uh, you know, Dunedin needs a new hospital. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't want my um, stepfather to have to wait months and months to be flown up to Auckland to get an eye exam. Uh, yeah. That's really pissing me off, considering he's got leukaemia. Um, yeah. You know, you know... <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a shocking state, and, and, and all in the name of the surplus. I mean, is the surplus, yeah. surplus isn't that important, is it? Do we really need to be making surpluses, or should we be using the tax income to support the people that are paying it uh, in terms of their health and education? That should be the most important thing. Yeah, and I think what I think what the government, of course, has belatedly woken up to is the fact that th- those people who are you know getting pay increases, and there are some, uh, most of them aren't getting enough to keep up with the real cost of living. And then, of course, there's a huge chunk of people who don't get any pay increase at all. But that, that, that housing crisis, the impact of that in terms of housing costs, you know, rents, 
cost of mortgages is really now starting to bite in terms of household budgets. And the government's realised that actually, you know, people aren't being able to keep up. And the, the last desperate measure in an election year is to offer the Sweden a bit of a tax cut. They're only ever one-off. That's the problem with tax cuts. They're only ever one-off. And they don't answer the big question, which is how are we going to get wages more generally to increase at a level that, you know, people can get ahead, mm. put a bit of money aside, do that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think when it comes to priorities, I think the government's got to do the stuff that's going to invest in people and support people, that people get ahead, rather than the, the one-off tax cuts. That, that, that typically only ever tends to favour the wealthy anyway, who don't spend their money. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm supposed to be bipartisan here, but I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, <laughs> now, at the same time that you announced that um, Labor wasn't going to want to increase the retirement um, thing in 2015, you also announced that we're dropping the capital gains tax. Uh, and now you see that the property market hasn't slowed down in Auckland. It's rising everywhere else where other, when people are moving out to Tauranga, uh, to areas around Hamilton and stuff like that. So they're rising. Dunedin's rising as well. Um, you know, and, and some of the stories that are coming out of the property market are these investors that are flipping houses two, three weeks later for huge profits. Uh, you know, isn't it fair that we tax those profits? I mean, wouldn't that help to cool the market a bit? It just seems like simple logic to me. Yeah, I think I think the the, um, the experience of capital gains taxes around the world is they don't stop property price bubbles. So if you have a look at the experience in Sydney, Vancouver, London, or wherever. Um, but where they've got capital gains taxes, but it doesn't stop. And there's, there's more to gain when people are happy to wear a capital gains tax um, if they know they're going to get a few hundred thousand dollars extra just by sitting on a house for a couple of years. So there are, uh, there's other ways to skim the cat. In fairness to the government, they introduced what they call a bright line test, which actually is a capital gains tax, which, if, which is if you sell the house within two years, uh, an investment property within two years, then you're going to be taxed on the... Um, uh, capital appreciation or the, uh, the appreciated value of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're saying push that out to five years. We think that's a reasonable thing to do. The other thing we're doing uh, in tax terms to stop or to dampen the speculation is look at the negative gearing rules. So property investors who buy a property, get a mortgage over it, and then are able to write off the interest component of the repayments against other tax own. Um, that is wrong. Those people don't need that tax advantage. If they can afford to buy a second, third, fourth, whatever number house, they don't need that tax advantage. I'd rather do, do something for first-time buyers. Mm. So we will be looking at it in those in those ways, but um, a capital gains tax is not the answer to property price bubbles. Yeah, I mean, because people, I mean, this, this is people's incomes now. I mean, flipping houses is, is someone's <coughs> job, you know. Yeah, so so now, the, the, the rule now is if you, you know, you buy an investment property and you sell it within two years, you're going to be taxed on it. Uh, yeah. as, that's, that's the starting point. You have to prove that you didn't intend to you know, make money off it. It's going to be pretty hard. <laughs> and the, the one change we would make is to push that out to five years. Yeah. You know, there plenty of property investors or they'll wait for two years. It's pretty easy to do. And then flog it off and then you know, get, the, get the capital gain there. Well, um, we're going to have to leave it there, Andrew, but I mean, this housing issue is huge, and um, yeah, I, I really hope that no matter who gets in government next year, um, something, I mean, this year, I should say, something really needs to change, because it's just, it's, you know, it's having the crazy flow-on effect. I mean, it's, 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 every, it's everywhere you go, everywhere I go now, and I was in, I was in Clive in the Hawke's Bay last week, we were talking about it, and it came up there, everybody had a story to tell. I mean, yep, and you're absolutely right. And we're determined to change it. The only way we, we're only, we're going to get a change as a country to it is if we change the government. That's what we stand for. But anyway, we'll talk about that in future interviews, I know. Indeed, indeed. Hey, th- Andrew, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. And we'll talk to you in a couple more weeks. Cheers, Jamie. All right, cheers, mate. Bye. See you.
Andrew Little, their leader of the Labour Party, talking about, uh, well, congratulations to uh, Jacinda Ardern. Uh, we talked about the retirement age. They don't want to raise it. They don't want um, means testing. I'm totally uh, not happy about that one. And I think uh, talking about Māori and Pacifica, um, it, it, it's only fair that they get to retire a little bit earlier um, because they don't live uh, as long as Pakiha and uh, you know and that's Pakiha's issue and that's Pakiha's problem uh, and the country's problem and he, we as a country need to lift um, the standard of living for everybody um, quick smart uh, because that's going to really hurt us in the future and then of course um, tax tax cuts just seem stupid financially irresponsible fiscally irresponsible uh, and you know, with the state of um, infrastructure in this country, uh, be it health, be it education, be it housing, uh, homelessness uh, is getting to a point where we can't fix it. So something needs to change there. Uh, all right, it is 13 minutes.